0: Uh, my name is Josh, one of the pastors here at Radiant Life. I'm glad you could be with us as we continue our series, Christmas Through Their Eyes. In this series, we take a look at the Christmas narrative through the eyes of some maybe lesser-known characters, right? So we'll continue that today. But I'm curious, and you could just shout out your answer, what do you most look forward to about Christmas. Food, family, presents. Somebody said presents. What was it? Jesus. Jesus. All right, we got we got somebody who knows the right answer. All right, snow. Somebody said snow. It's ironic that, that somebody said Jesus and snow at the same time, and those two things have nothing to do with each other. I'm pretty sure snow is a result of the fall. Uh, anyways, this is me. But there, I, I raised my hand for the 60 degrees. I, I, I like the 60 degrees. So so anyways, all right, Christmas is this season where we have this expectation, right? We look forward to it. Well, maybe it's an expectation and it's good. Maybe it's bad, right? Of getting together with family, of getting together with friends, of opening presents, of having food, all of these things. And we look forward to this. Maybe in your house, you do an Advent calendar where over the course of December, you gradually count down the days Right, and there's this expectation that something is coming. Well, I want to invite you into uh, my childhood a little bit here, right? As we, as we talk about this idea of expectation and anticipation. Uh, the characters that we will be introduced to today and the Christmas story have a little bit of something to do with that. But I want to read with you a story. When I was a kid, every year at Christmas, my mom would get out this book. It was called Waiting for Christmas. It was all just different stories with Advent. And I loved this story. It was called Christmas with the Mergdorps. Right? It, was, it was cool just because you got to say the word Mergdorp several times over the course of it. It had really cool illustrations, which even if I had the book here, you wouldn't be able to see. So I just have the words uh, that I'll read for us today. So you get, you get a, a little piece of what I grew up with, and I loved this part of Christmas, getting out this book. It says this, the mergdorps are frantic. The mergdorps are wild. Each tall mergdorp parent, each small mergdorp child adds its loud wail to the hullabaloo. Christmas is coming. There's so much to do. Buy some more presents. We're short 43. Clean up the family room, chop down the tree. Polish the ornaments. See, they're hazy. Christmas is coming, and we're going crazy. Keep baking cookies. You know we need dozens. Send off the cards to the out-of-town cousins. Don't stop to think or to talk or have fun. Christmas is coming. We'll never get done. String blinky lights up all over the house. Shampoo the cat. Tie a bow on the mouse. More decorations. More glitter. Be quick. Christmas is coming. And we're feeling sick, There's all of this this anticipation, this expectation. Something is coming, right? All the preparations are being made. We're getting ready for something. And we're going to jump into Scripture today and meet a couple of characters that lived in that world. We're going to read today from the, the book of Luke. Luke was a doctor who compiled a lot of the events of the life and ministry of Jesus Maybe if you read the Christmas story every year in your home, you go to Luke chapter 2. Well, I want to set the stage for us a little bit because we're going we're to fast forward. Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. You know, the shepherds came, the angels, uh, all that happened, right? And now we're going we're gonna to jump in a little bit after that. So Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21, says this. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. Simeon is our first character. So Mary and Joseph have taken Jesus, they've left Bethlehem where he was born, and they've come to Jerusalem. Now, you, it, this is probably not a news flash, but Jesus was Jewish. His parents were Jewish. And as such, they observed Jewish law. So it says they come up, you know, they come to Jerusalem. There's there's a sacrifice that has to be made. There are purification rituals that they do, and he's circumcised, you know, uh, on the eighth day. So they're doing all of these things, and it's here where they they're going to interact with this guy named Simeon. Simeon was a righteous and devout man, and he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. He is eagerly waiting. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation which you have prepared for all people. He is the light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna is our second character today. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84 She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. If you think your church attendance is impressive, you got nothing on Anna. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So we see this interaction between Simeon, Mary, and Joseph, and Jesus, and then Anna is there, and we see her reaction, right? And you, and, and you think, well, okay, what's, what's going on here? Well, the, the issue is, and why, why they respond the way they do is, Simeon and Anna lived with eager anticipation for what God was going to do. Right? Again, we, we look forward to things at Christmas. We get excited about certain things, and we have this anticipation, this expectation about what's going to happen. And Simeon and Anna had this anticipation. They eagerly waited. And to understand that, I need you to jump in the DeLorean with me, and we're going to take a little bit of a, a tour through history. Because this isn't just something that they're like, oh, hey, this, we think this will be cool. Right, all throughout the Jewish scriptures, this is a portion of the, the the prophecy Isaiah recorded. Right, all throughout Jewish scriptures, there there are these signs pointing to something coming. And so they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And Simeon and Anna are among those who have been waiting. And so I want to give us a little bit of a tour to see what it is that fueled that sense of anticipation that Simeon and Anna had. And we're going to start pretty close to the very beginning, back in the book of Genesis. So God creates the earth. He creates humanity. And he gives them one rule and they screw it up. It was one rule too many. And they said, no, we want to do things our way. And as a result, we see God have a conversation with Adam and Eve and the serpent, right? This this creature that the devil worked through, right? And, and in Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15, we see God's conversation with the devil, essentially, and he says this, because you've done this, because you, you've tempted humanity to, to pursue this thing I told them not to do, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, graveling in the dust as long as you live, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You think, what in the world does that have to do with Jesus? We're going to get there here in just a few minutes, so hang with me. But right here, from very close to the beginning, we start to see this this sense of anticipation being built. We're going to fast forward uh, several hundreds of years to Genesis chapter 12, where God has a conversation with a a guy named Abram. And, And we're going to look at a little bit of that conversation here. God comes to this guy, Abram, and he says, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So God comes to this one guy who just so happens to be eventually the father of all of the Jewish people. Right? And he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Which would have been a little bit of a shocker because at that point, Abram has no kids. It's just him and his wife, and they're both pretty old. And they're like, it's not looking real good. But God says, no, not only am I going to make you into a great nation, all families on earth will be blessed through you. Something big is going to come through you. And this fuels that sense of anticipation. We're going to jump ahead to somebody who was kind of a big deal in the, in the Jewish mindset, right? This guy named Moses. This is Michelangelo's depiction of Moses. And I don't know why Michelangelo thought that Moses had horns. Um, if you're an art student, do we have any art students in the room? Anybody? Okay, so we're just not going to know. If you're online and you know why Moses has horns, uh, throw it in the comments. I would be really curious to read that later. But so Moses is kind of a big deal. Right? Israel was enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And God calls this guy Moses and says, hey, I'm going to use you to lead my people out of slavery. And then Moses is used by God to to give them the commands, this this system of rule for them to live their lives by, to identify themselves as the people of God. Now, as he nears the end of his life, Moses gathers all the people and he's going to give them a farewell address. Kind of a, kind of a, hey guys, you know, like we've talked about this now for, you know, 40 years, but just so you don't forget, this is the lane that God wants you to run in. Don't screw it up. Right? And in this farewell address, Moses says something interesting. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you yourselves requested of the Lord your God when you were assembled at Mount Sinai. You said, don't let us hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore or see this blazing fire or we will die. Then the Lord said to me, what they have said is right. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell the people everything I command him. I will personally deal with anyone who will not listen to the messages the prophet proclaims on my behalf. So Moses, who has been part of their deliverance, is part of bringing the law, he says, somebody like me is going to come. Right? The Israelites freaked out at Mount Sinai. They're like, whoa, Moses, no, you go talk to him. We, if we go near him, we're going to die. We need, we need this intermediary. And Moses says, hey, uh, somebody's going to come and they're going to they're live into these roles. These things you've seen in me, you're gonna, there's going to be a prophet like me coming. Now we're going to fast forward again several hundred more years to another kind of a big deal within Jewish history. King David, right? arguably the most famous king that Israel had. Right? He was just, he was, he was a, a good king. He accomplished a lot of things for Israel. And towards the end of his life, God has a conversation with him through the prophet Nathan, and and he tells David something. He says this, he says that he will make a house for you, you being David, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name. And I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Now you might read that in first glance and think, oh yeah, well that makes sense because Solomon, David's actual son, did build the temple, right? But God is telling David, I'm gonna set up this line forever, right? And then, and then if, you were, if you were Jewish, right? And you, and you paid attention to the history, you're like, wait, but Solomon kind of went off the rails a little bit. And it, it got worse after him. And so you see this, this string of kings. If you read through the book of first and second kings, right? You see, man, there, there are a lot of kings in the line of David. And some of them are okay. Most of them are they're pretty bad. And they don't live at all into the things that God called them to do. So you have this weight: like, okay, Lord, you told David. There's going to be a king in his line and he was going to be a good king. Like this would be a a positive thing. And so far, that hasn't really happened yet. So there's this anticipation that this is still coming. Now we're going to jump into the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet, right? It It would be a tough job to be a prophet because you usually brought people really bad news. When you see a prophet come on the scene... It's like, like, okay, well, we're clearly not doing... The the prophets didn't usually show up and say, you know what, guys? You're just doing so good that God wanted me to come by, give you a high five, and say, keep up the good work. No, usually the prophet shows up and he says, holy cow, you guys, like God told you to do this, and you're way over here doing this. Why? Why? Kind of, a, kind of a hard job. Not a lot of people like the prophets, right? So Isaiah is one, and he comes and he brings some pretty heavy news to the people. But as you read through the books of prophecy in the Old Testament, there's a lot of bad news, but there are these little nuggets of hope. You'll read, it, you'll read an entire chapter in the book of Isaiah, and you're like, that's all bad. Oh, except for this one verse. That sounds okay, right? So you've got these nuggets of hope. And Isaiah seven fourteen is one of those nuggets. It says this, The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. Does that sound like anything we might talk about at Christmas? She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Israel kind of had the corner on the market for God being with them. Right, from the time Moses led them out of slavery, right? God gave Moses instructions on how to construct the tabernacle, which was this, this tent, this mobile church building, if you will. And within that, they had the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the actual presence of God. So wherever they went, the presence of God went with them. And then Solomon builds this temple and the ark is put into the temple. And again, you have God's presence is there with them. So they, they've kind of staked a claim on this. They said, yeah, we are the people that God is with. But Isaiah is telling them, buckle up, guys. Uh, it's going to get ugly. Right? You, guys have, you guys have kind of like staked a claim here. Uh, but it's, it's going to get a little bit rough here for a while. But he says, don't worry, hope nugget. At some point, somebody's going to show up. And once again, you will have this, this idea that God is with us. It's coming. So just hang on. Later on, Isaiah says in, in the 61st chapter, he gives you a little bit of a, a breakdown of what this person will do. He says this, The Spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Which again, if you if you understand the history of Israel, like they were dragged away into captivity, right? This isn't like, this isn't poetic. Like, oh, this sounds like a nice thing for somebody to do. No, this is a, hey, you're gonna actually be captives. You're gonna be prisoners. He sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has Come. And with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. He says, A time will come when things will start to be made right once again. The things that are broken will be made whole. If you're captive, you will be set free. He's like, You guys are a little bit worried about justice. Don't worry. The people that have been doing these things to you, like, they will pay for what they've done. God is a just God. And that sometimes he gets a little bit upset about some things. Isaiah says it's coming; just hold on. Jeremiah is another prophet. If Jeremiah were to have a band, it would probably be an emo band. They call him the Weeping Prophet. Uh, I didn't get any takers in first service, but I said if anyone wants to start an emo band, we'll call it Jeremiah and the Weepers. Uh, I can play bass. If we've got any other you know, musicians that are interested, All right, We got. I see a hand in the back, right there. We got one. We're going to be a two-piece band. So Jeremiah, his, okay. I got two. I, the lights, man, they're in my eye. I can't. I can't see. I got you. Jeremiah is a prophet who who addressed multiple things. Right. He he was there and he talked about the captivity that was coming. Right, which a little side note. Right, this is like one of my pet peeves. So just a little side rant here, right? And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because then you'll feel bad after I say the next thing, right? Like around graduation time, you see all the mugs and the cards with Jeremiah 29:11, like "I know the plans I have for you," says the Lord, "plans to prosper, plan all this good stuff." <laughs> We're like, yeah. Okay. Here's the thing: if you want to hang on to that, go ahead, but read verse 10 first where it says you're going to be captives for 70 years. Okay, you can have the plans to prosper, but first you've got to be a captive for 70 years. Maybe don't put that on a graduation card. Just saying, <laughs> just saying. So Jeremiah, he talks to Israel about this, this captivity that's coming. He, you know, he also wrote the book of Lamentations, right? So he's, he's seen things where they were pretty good. He sees things get really bad. And he writes, uh, again, kind of this little nugget of hope in Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6. He says, For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. In that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety Again now, so for, for hundreds of years, again, Israel saw this promise to King David that, hey, a good king is going to come. This is going to be a really positive thing. And it hasn't happened yet. And now Jeremiah is telling them, oh, by the way, you're going to go into captivity you know, for 70 years, uh, but don't worry. God hasn't forgotten what he told David. He says, hang on to that. It's still coming. At some point, in the future, this will still happen. Jeremiah also writes uh, this in Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34. But this is the new covenant, right? So Israel, these are the people of the covenant, right? God made this covenant with Abraham. He made this covenant at Mount Sinai. they are people that have these, these you know, contracts would be kind of a modern day equivalent but that doesn't, that doesn't come close enough. Right? They have these covenant relationship with God. And he says, hey, There's going to be a new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after those days. Again, talking about after this this time of captivity, after that, something good will happen. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. He's saying, hey, we've, we've had this system, but a new system is coming. And in this system, right, we, we, we used to have all these, all these pieces where you know, you've got you've to kill the lamb, you've got to kill the bull, you've got to kill the pigeons. You know, this is how you atone for sins. There's, there's a new covenant coming. It will involve the forgiveness of sins. Right? It, it will include this idea that, that everyone has this awareness of our relationship with God. He says, at some point, this is coming. So for thousands of years, there have been these little glimmers of hope throughout Scripture. There's a lot of stuff that looks pretty bleak, but you have these glimmers of hope. Now come back to Simeon and Anna. Anna. They see this baby in the temple courts. And they say, whoa. Simeon says, Lord, now I can die in peace. Show of hands, who's ever held a baby and said, you know what? I can die in peace now. (laughs) Anybody? (laughs) Maybe you held a baby and you're like, Lord, I would love to die in peace right now if you can make that happen. (laughs) That'd be great. That'd be great. But here's the thing Simeon and Anna saw in Jesus the fulfillment of millennia worth of promises beginning. Christmas, through their eyes, isn't just this oh, there's this cute little baby. Like, oh, this is cool. Christmas through their eyes was the realization of who Jesus was. Their reaction reflected the realization of who he was. He was the child of promise. He was the one that God has been talking about for millennia. Something's coming, just wait. It looks bad right now, just wait. And Mary and Joseph come into the temple courts with this little baby, and they're like, this is it. And the crazy thing is, all Jesus had to do for them to respond that way was to show up. Simeon and Anna are praising God. They're telling everyone around them, about this baby and about the things that God is doing. How this is the kid. This is what we've been waiting for. And all he did was show up. He hasn't actually done anything yet. So my question this morning is, what about Christmas through our eyes? We have the gift of history. We have the gift of hindsight. Simeon and Anna responded the way they did and he hadn't done anything yet. But we can look through Scripture, and we, we get a little bit more of a, a, a full picture. Right? They had Genesis 3, where God tells the serpent, hey, at some point, I will crush your head, which is typically a fatal condition. <laughs> we have 1 John 3, 8, where John, the, the disciple of Jesus, says, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He says the thing that, G- that the devil started at the beginning where he, he kind of nudged humanity off track, Jesus came to begin the process of writing that. From very early on within the history of Christianity, they use this term, protevangelium. Everybody say protevangelium. prot-evangelium. That's good. That literally means the first gospel. The good news, right, about what Jesus did Genesis three is that, and we can see that looking back, right we, can, we recognize that Jesus at the cross was a death blow to the devil, and we get to live in the benefits of this. Genesis 12, where God has this conversation with Abram and he says, "I'm going to make you a great nation. All families on earth will be blessed through." you paul tells us in both galatians and ephesians in galatians three sixteen, he says he says you know how abraham was told he would have it a descendant, and it'd be it'd be pretty big deal he says that was jesus he was the one and in ephesians 1 3 he says through jesus we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing god said abram all families on earth will be blessed through you what does that mean it means the blessings that we receive when we come into relationship with Jesus. In Deuteronomy, remember, remember good old Moses? Right, well, fast forward to the book of Acts. And Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, are preaching to a crowd there. And they, they, they do like a short, systematic, you know, summary of, of the, the history of Israel. And they say, hey, look at this prophet, this prophet, this prophet, this prophet. All of them talked about this thing. Guess what? That was Jesus. And they actually, they they highlight uh, what Moses said. They said, remember Moses said this? Yep, that's Jesus. We have the advantage of looking back and and seeing that. God's conversation with David, right? And now fast forward to Luke chapter 1. Where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and he says, Oh, surprise, you're gonna get pregnant. But he says, That child will be this king in the line of David, whose throne will last forever. That's why if you if you read the genealogies, right? Genealogies can be a little bit dry, a little bit boring, you're like, I don't care who begat who, or, or whom. Is it whatever? But if you look at Matthew. And Luke's genealogies, right? There's this connection with King David. They are highlighting, look, just in case anybody's wondering, he comes from the line of David. And Gabriel told Mary, this is the king that we've been waiting for. In Isaiah 7:14, Isaiah says, again, that glimmer of hope. Hey, at some point, again, we will be able to say God is with us. Well, in John 1.14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus showed up, God, in the flesh and actually lived among people. And then fast forward, right? Because at some point he dies, he comes back to life, he ascends into heaven. But he gave his disciples a heads up in John 14. And he says, hey, if you love me, obey my commands and I will send you another advocate, the Holy Spirit who will never leave you. Jesus hung out on earth for a while, which is really cool. But how much more cool is it that you and I sitting here today, if we are followers of Jesus, have the Holy Spirit living within us? It's not just God with us, it's God in us. Isaiah 61, this is where, you know, Isaiah says, hey, this person will come and they will, you know, they'll free the captives, they'll restore the brokenhearted, they'll do all these things. Well, in Luke 4, we see Jesus own this one himself he stands up in the synagogue one day to teach and they hand him the scroll of isaiah and he unrolls it and he reads the verses of of isaiah 61 and he says today this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing he says you've been waiting for somebody to come and bring restoration i'm here Jeremiah 23, this, this is, again, another reference to, to David, which, again, we talked about Luke 1 already. And then in Jeremiah 31, if you look ahead in your Bible to the book of Hebrews, to Hebrews chapter 10, we see, we see the writer of Hebrews outlining this new covenant. And it's all centered around Jesus. And he actually, the writer of Hebrews, quotes this passage from Jeremiah. And he says, yeah, you remember? You remember that emo band guy who talked about these things? This is what he was talking about. He was talking about Jesus. Christmas through the eyes of Simeon and Anna was the realization that millennia worth of promises were beginning to come to fulfillment. But you and I, 2,000 years later, can look back and we can see even more how God has fulfilled those things. I want to I read the last paragraph from Christmas with the Mergdorps. It says this, Hush, not a sound. All the Mergdorps are sleeping. When they wake up, there will be plenty of weeping. Three days they've slept which is really too long. Christmas is over? What did we do wrong? My question to us this morning is, are we asleep to the reality of who Jesus is and what he came to do? Because he shows up and there are people like Simeon and Anna who respond by praising God, by telling people about what is happening. But there are also people who missed it Jewish people today still go and pray at the Western Wall, longing for the restoration that was promised. They've missed it. Jesus was it. And they've missed it. They lament the loss of the temple. They lament their history and how it's gone. And they say, Lord, when are you going to do the things you said you were going to do? Maybe there are people in this room who are asleep to the reality of who Jesus is and what he came to do. If Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil... Why do we continue to live as slaves to sin? In the book of Romans, Paul says, you've got two options. You can be a slave to sin or you can be a slave to righteousness. But he says, man, why why in the world would we live as slaves to sin? When we come to Christ, right? When we identify with Christ in his death and resurrection through baptism, he says sin doesn't have any more power over us. If that's what Jesus came to do, why do we continue to live in sin? Are we asleep to the reality of who Jesus is and what he came to do? If Jesus is the king, why do we continue to live as though we are in charge? We say, Jesus, you know, I've read, I've read some of the things you've said, and there's some pretty good stuff in there, Jesus. I, I really like this one over here. You know what you said about that? This world's all right. A little bit of work. Maybe we'll, we'll get that looking pretty good. But this over here, Jesus, eh, I, just, I don't know if you really know what's going on. Uh, that, it doesn't work that way. So we're just going to pretend like you didn't actually say that, Jesus. If he's the king, why do we act as though we're in charge? Now, I know the idea of a king is a little bit foreign to us, right? We don't live under a monarchy. And uh, I didn't, you know, Miles didn't beat me up after the first service, so I must not have said anything. Did you, did you hear what I said first? sir? Yeah. Was it offensive? No. Okay, because I don't, I'm wrong? Okay, so then, well, then I'm not going to say it. I was, I was sort of making fun of British people in Paul Spencer, our video, and I'm sorry. Like, don't take it personal, brother. I'm not going to say it then, because if I'm wrong, I'm say, right, but we don't understand a monarchy. I made fun of British people. I'm sorry. Uh, if you're British. I love you, you're cool, uh, it's all good. But anyways, we don't know what a monarchy is like. But guess what? Back here, or at a king, you were the king. Or like if you said, hey, do this, people would do it, or they might execute you. The king is this role of authority. Have we surrendered the authority in our lives to the kingship of Jesus? Are we asleep to the reality of who he is and what he came to do? If Jesus is a blessing for all nations and people, why do we stay safe in our holy huddles? Go back to Anna. So she talked about the child to who? Everyone who was waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Ladies and gentlemen, there are, there are men and women in your life who are waiting expectantly for God to do something in their life. And we are the vehicle through which God communicates the message of hope and reconciliation and restoration. But we say, eh, like that person doesn't look like me. They don't smell like me. They don't vote like me. They eat some weird foods. I'm going to hope somebody else goes and talks to that person. And we stay safe in our our little holy huddles. Jesus came to bless everyone. And we are the vehicle through which he communicates that message. If Jesus came to restore, to bring wholeness and healing, why do we use our words and actions to hurt other people? Jesus says, I came to restore, but maybe some of us are much more proficient at destruction. He said, I came to bring healing, but some of us are much better at inflicting damage than we are healing. He says, I came to bring wholeness, to put the pieces back together into the way that God originally designed it to be. Some of us wade into the mix with a sledgehammer, seeing if we can smash things up just a little bit more. If Jesus came to bring healing, wholeness, restoration, why don't we? Are we asleep to the reality of who Jesus is and what he came to do? Because even 2,000 years later, Jesus is still fulfilling promises. We can see a lot. Again, we have that gift of hindsight. We can see a lot of the ways that Jesus embodied the prophecies that were made. But there is still this element of now but not yet. So there are things that we can look forward to. Jesus is still fulfilling his promises to bring restoration to the people in this room, to the people that you know, the people you work with, the people you live with, the people you see at the coffee shop. Jesus is still fulfilling those promises today. And what would it look like if we approach Christmas with that same level of excitement that we see in Simeon and Anna that if we, really, if we really grab hold of what Jesus has accomplished and what he's still accomplishing, what would it look like for us to live our lives in response to that? May we be people who are awake to what Jesus is doing in our life and in the lives of the people around us. At this time, I'm going to have the prayer team come down to the fronts. Maybe you've never really grabbed a hold of who Jesus is. And maybe Holy Spirit's stirring something in your heart. I just want to encourage you, man, you can go down to one, of the, the prayer teams. We've got Pastor Karen and Harry. We've got Ned and Sally over there. If that's something that you want to just bring to them and pray through. I want to encourage you to do that. And if you need any other things lifted up in prayer, you can go down to them as well. But I want to invite you to stand as as we pray. And then we're going to sing one more song that talks about the promises of God. Father God, Lord, I pray that Holy Spirit right now would just breathe through this place. Lord, awaken our hearts to who you are. Lord, don't let us sleep through the significance of what you've done. Lord, may we be people who surrender to you as king. May we be people who partner with you in your ministry of restoration and reconciliation. May we be bringers of healing and wholeness. Lord, may we be ones who speak encouraging words that we would build others up And Lord, as we we sit here and can look back at all of the ways that you've fulfilled promises, Lord, we look forward to the promises that you are still fulfilling. And Lord, even when it doesn't seem like it, we thank you that you are at work. Lord, we love you. And as we go into the rest of this Christmas season, Lord, meet us in just a really cool way. We pray in your name. Amen.